The Bible reading today is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep, deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Light is on, now we're right, yeah. It's the trouble when you, when you get old and you've got to, uh, got to wear hearing aids and you've got to put your spectacles on and you've got to tend with this Madonna outfit. Actually, can I just say, to begin with, um, a few weeks ago, you may have been here when I gave a bit of a splurge about uh, Westcare, the Ministry of Westcare, and uh, I just want to say with gratitude that uh, I'm very thankful for the results. It's been tremendous, and uh, we've been able to give a a, a great deal to uh, Westcare as a result. So keep up the good work. Now, I actually thought that I had uh, um, retired from preaching until last Friday. <laughs> but here we are again. And, uh, but I'm not going to, because of the shortness of the time, I'm not going to uh, continue, as uh, Frank, I think, told you that in the Peter series, but just bring you a little standalone message on God's prophetic timetable, how God's plan Uh, is unfolding before our eyes. God's uh, sort of history schedule, uh, a message about that, his unfolding history schedule, which is not random by any means. He has got it all in hand. He has planned it from time immemorial and um, that uh, he's been fulfilling that plan right since the beginning of time. So what we're going to look at is what has happened as a result of what uh, has been prophesied in God's word that we've read this morning and uh, look at what is presently happening happening, uh, according to God's word and then thirdly what we can expect to take place in the future again according to the word of God. Now, I don't know whether you noticed them when, when uh, Barb was reading, the, reading this morning that there, are, there is both prophecy fulfilled and prophecy yes, yet to be fulfilled in that reading. And I'm sure that all of us would agree that if the former part of that reading 
speaks about prophecy which has already been fulfilled, then it's reasonable to say that the latter part also will be fulfilled. Now what does it say? Well, these are the words, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And uh, that's straightforward enough, isn't it? And we believe, we know who that, that child is who is born, who that son is who is given. Uh, if we wanted to be more specific about it, we go back a couple of chapters in chapter 7 of Isaiah and it says this and it makes it even more specific, I think, uh, for us to understand. Behold, a virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel, which the scripture explains to us means God with us. God has actually come into the world in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I truly believe the literal fulfilment of that prophecy, I must also believe the remainder of it, which has not yet taken place. That there is coming a day when, in which the great council, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, is going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth. As it said in the reading, from his throne, the throne of David, his ancestor David, in Jerusalem, and there he will reign for all eternity. So if the one is true, then the other has to be true. Otherwise we might as well throw the Bible out. So let's go down three very simple little pathways this morning, if we might, and look at God's plan, look at his provision, and look at his promises. Now, I'm pretty sure that I won't be picking an argument with anybody here this morning when I say that we're living in rather precarious times, aren't we? It's a funny old world to live in. And whilst it may be true that there are some places in the world where there are certain spiritual awakenings and we can praise the Lord for that, but by and large we'd have to say in the, in generally in the Western world, in a, which, uh, which we are part of, of course, this affluent Western world, there's a great uh, departure from the truth. And uh, that's come out, I think, in the census and we've seen that in the papers just lately. The Bible makes it clear, very clear, that in the last days there would be wars, rumours of wars, all sorts of things like that. And we observe these, of course, on an increasing scale, uh, day by day, the stress of, of, of nations and the continuing political crisis and, spoke, and all of these things, unspeakable barbarity we see and uh, persecution of Christians and we see the ugly face of anti-Semitism rising in the world and even here in Australia. And uh, we mosey on as though it's all just par for the course. But it is not par for the course. Uh, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees of his day, the, the religious leaders of the day, uh, for being able to discern the 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 signs uh, in the sky and and uh, determine what kind of weather we're going to have because of what we see. Today we 
rely on the Bureau of Meteorology. They're not always right, but they give us a bit of an indication of what is about to happen. He said, you can observe these things, but you do not discern the signs of the times. Well, all right, to begin with, for unto us a child is born. Now that speaks of what always has already been fulfilled as far as the scripture is concerned. The babe of Bethlehem, Jesus himself. The Bible tells us that he came to his own. He was a Jew, of course, Jesus. And he came to his own, Jews, but his own received him not. They rejected him. And uh, the Jews did not at the time see the fingerprint of God in the coming of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, they were enraged somewhat by his claims. I want to remind you of the time when Jesus went into the synagogue and uh, he took the scroll and um, he read from the scroll uh, from what we now know to be Isaiah chapter 61. It wouldn't have been that at the time. That was their Bible, but it wasn't categorised like that, I'm sure. But he read from what we now know to be Isaiah 61 and we've got it recorded for us here in Luke chapter 4. And this is what happened. Jesus went into the synagogue and he took the scroll and this is what he read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives, that captives will be released that the blind will see and that the oppressed will set, be set free and the time of the Lord's favour has come. And then we're told that he rolled up the scroll and he handed it back to the attendant and he sat down and all of the eyes of those in the synagogue were upon Jesus as he read those prophetic words and uh, they looked at him intently and uh, he began to speak. And he said, the scriptures you have heard, just heard, have been fulfilled this very day. What a, what a stupendous claim that was, wasn't it? And uh, at, the, at the first, of course, all those in the synagogue seemed to be in absolute awe of him that he would make such a claim, that he would read such a part of scripture, take it to be about himself, claim it to be about himself, a fulfilment that day. So they were somewhat in awe about that, but it soon turned to resentment. Listen to another uh, occasion in the synagogue where Jesus went to the synagogue and on the Sabbath day, he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed and they asked where did he get all this wisdom and the power to to form such to perform such miracles and they scoffed he's just a carpenter son of mary the brother of james and joseph and judas and simon and he has sisters living right here amongst us and those Jews were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Now, even though the Jews were God's chosen people, and in fact they still are, and they always will be, the apple of his eye, 
Nevertheless, for the time being, the Apostle Paul tells us this very clearly in Romans. He says that for the time being, God has set them aside. Just for the time being. It says in Romans chapter 9, they in, this is the reason why God set them aside. They insisted that the only right way or the way to get right with God was by keeping the law instead of trusting him. And so they stumbled at that point. Now, did they stumble beyond recovery? Of course not. Listen to this in Romans chapter 11. Some of these branches from Abraham's tree, that would be the Jews, wouldn't it? From Abraham's tree. Some of these branches from Abraham's tree have been broken off and you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. Well, we've got a lot to be thankful for, haven't we? So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children. That's, that's amazing that we now have received a blessing of God. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off because you're a branch, just a branch, not a root. Reminds me of when Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. You see, we take our sustenance from him. And he goes on to say, well, you may say, look, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember this. You are there because you believe. The broken branches, they were those who did not believe. You were there because you believe. So therefore, do not think too highly of yourself. I guess it really is a bonus for us, isn't it, that those branches were broken off, were set aside. But we've really got to make sure that we don't become cocky over this. Because you see, listen to what again what Paul says. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. So we can be really, really thankful about that. And he says, now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will finally share when they accept it. And we know that that's what the scripture teaches us, that eventually all Israel shall be saved. So there's no, there's no room for pride in God's family. Only a huge amount of gratification. That God has a great plan by sending his son into this world and irrespective of race, colour, creed or whatever it might be, he wants us to just trust him. Put our faith in him, believe in him and to follow him. And I guess the question that must be asked at this point is that are we doing that? How are we going in that area? Uh, do we really believe in him? Do, are we really trusting him 
and are we following in his footsteps? So that was God's plan, but let's look just for a few minutes, a couple of minutes, at God's provision. Now, Isaiah was a prophet who lived some 800 years ago. Listen to something he says. It's very well known. Everyone will know this passage of scripture from Isaiah 53. It speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. We turned our backs on him, looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him, for he bore the sins of many. He who was without sin, he who was without sin became sin for us. Nothing short of amazing. And uh, isn't it just amazing that by his death we have been given life. We didn't have to suffer the death that we deserve because of him. And now, if we believe in him, not we might not be saved, but we might it's not that we hope to be saved. It's not that we could be saved. There's a possibility we might. Whoever believes in him shall will be saved. It's a simple gospel message. The question is have we done that? Have we put our trust in him? Are we trusting him today? Are we sure that we are saved? That we have come in his, into his kingdom by asking the Lord Jesus to take up residence in our lives. Now the third thing I think that is an important part of the gospel that we often forget. Spend a little bit more time on this. Maybe this is an aspect of the gospel I think that perhaps we tend to put in the too hard basket. It doesn't seem to be a reality in our lives, in our Christian thinking today. And it is God's promise that Jesus will, in fact, come again. I will remember sharing um, this thought, as I have with a number of people over the years. But one particular fellow, an older fellow who's since gone to be with the Lord, and I was talking to him about um, the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he said to me, oh, yes, Nelson, he said, you've been talking about that for years and nothing has happened. Um, and uh, I guess to a certain extent there is some truth in that. But let's be careful that we don't join the ranks of those who would scoff about this aspect, this all-important aspect of the gospel. The Apostle Peter speaks of those people who says, there will be scoffers in these last days who will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they did from the beginning of creation. And uh, I think we need to be careful that we do not join those scoffers and be a Thomas, a doubter of uh, the fact of the word of God.
We don't seem to have much of a problem when it comes to believing about the babe of Bethlehem. We believe that and we celebrate it. We think it's a wonderful thing. We don't seem to have a problem when it comes to the prophecy concerning that Jesus would die on the cross, that he would take our sins there and bury them forever. But when it comes to end time events, we seem to have all sorts of theological problems and obstacles when in actual fact there are more prophecies in the Bible concerning the second coming of Christ than there are about the first. It's interesting, isn't it? But if you have a problem with this, don't worry about it, you're in good company. Just listen to this. The disciples were, well, I don't know where they were exactly, but uh, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1, Jesus was taken up into the clouds while they were watching and they could no longer see him. And two angels of the Lord suddenly stood amongst them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven and one day he will return from heaven exactly the same way that you saw him go. One day, if we believe what the Bible says, and that's what I'm trying to convince you to do this morning, is to believe what the Bible says, then Jesus is going to come back in exactly the same way as he went. Bodily into the crowds, clouds, bodily back again. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes into great detail about the chronology of this particular event that I'm talking to you about, this part of the coming again of Jesus, which is called the rapture. Paul had obviously been, well he had, from what we know in the scriptures, that he'd been to Thessalonica, he'd taught them concerning the gospel and many aspects of the gospel, and I'm sure that he talked to them about the coming again of the Lord, that they should have that great expectation in their hearts and in their minds. And uh, it seems there was a bit of confusion that came out of that, and it's obvious when you read between the lines that they had written to Paul or had contacted him in some way and said, look, we're concerned about this, we know, we have great expectations from what you have taught us, but what about, well, reading between the lines again, what about the people our friends who are dying in the meantime, what's going to happen with them? Are they going to miss out? And it seems that Paul writes this particular piece of scripture to, to quell their fears and to uh, encourage them. And he says, look, I don't want you to be, to be troubled about these things because the Lord himself will descend with a shout, voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ, the ones that you're worried about, will rise first. And then we who are alive, and it could be any one of us in this auditorium today if Jesus was to come back, the dead will rise first. We who are alive, we're caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another or encourage one another or warn one another. That's what it says concerning these things. So we don't have to worry. God has got it all in hand. But when is it going to happen? That's what the question we ask, isn't it? 
But you know I'm going to tell you when it's going to happen today? It's going to happen all in God's good time. Yes, it is. You know, our perspective is always hampered by time frames, isn't it? And it always will be while we're in this body, while we're in this world. There's a beginning, there's an end. We come into this world, we go out of this world. We live it. Everything we do is in terms of time frames. But it's not like that with God. God's perspective is eternal. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says about this time frame of the rapture. He says, look, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. No, as some people might think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. See, God is not going to close up shop until the exact right time. And he knows when that is. But we need to make sure that we are ready, that we are continually abounding in the work of the Lord. And again, the Apostle Peter's got something to say about that as well. And he says this, My dear friends, while you are waiting, make every effort to be living, to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. That's what he wants from us and what he expects from us. Now, I probably need to just say this um, to clarify matters and make sure there is no cause for confusion. The coming of Jesus that I've been talking about, that part of the coming of Jesus, is the rapture, of course. I think you understand that. Now, the rapture precedes the actual coming of Jesus that we spoke about in the reading that was read to us earlier on. This precedes the actual coming of Jesus to this earth to take up his throne at the seat of David, where he will reign forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus has promised to snatch us believers away from the terrible things that are going to happen upon this earth. What we see today is pretty terrible, but it's just a picnic to what is going to happen in due time at the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. Things are bad enough now. Can you imagine what they're going to be like then? You and I know that moral standards today are, well, what can we say? They're very, very low, aren't they? Unprecedented low. Corruption is rampant in high places and uh, how much of what we are thinking about has happened just in these last few weeks with the, you know, it's only, it doesn't seem long ago, the terrible earthquake in Afghanistan, the, the uh, things that are happening as Russia pushes on and causes so much destruction in Ukraine, the G problems of the leadership and and the UK and all of these things that we could point to. Poor old Shinzo Abe. 
terrible things are happening. There are wars, rumours of wars, earthquakes, pestilences, pandemics. And we're living in such a time of political, political correctness that if we dare to come down on the sign of biblical absolutes, we are just laughed to scorn. Everything seems to be a greyish colour today. And sometimes as I look at what we are enduring in this world, I feel so sad. But in my more optimistic times, I feel glad. Do you know why? Because God's time clock is ticking away. Yes. There are prophetical signs that need to be fulfilled yet as far as Jesus coming to this earth and setting up his kingdom is concerned. But I want to tell you this, there is not one prophetical sign that needs to be fulfilled before Jesus could come and take us to be with him in his heavenly home. And as I just close off this little message this morning, the question is, I think, when the trumpet sounds, will you be numbered amongst those who will be called away to be with the Lord forever. Yes, his plan is certainly very, very good. The sending of his son into this world, as prophesied some 800 years ago. Yes, his purpose is certainly A1. Yes, that he came to die on the cross to save us from our sins also prophesied some 800 years ago. His promise is so good that he is coming back to rescue all those who love him. Also, as prophesied in his word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do want to thank you for your word this morning. So reliable so accurate, so infallible. Now, Father, I just pray that as we consider your word and we consider our privileged position before you, that we will not take it for granted, that we might determine from this day onwards to be the kind of people that we, you've preordained that we should be, that we should serve you, to the very best of our ability all the days of our lives. And Father, we ask that as we go out into this world this week, that we might be a light shining in this dark old world. Be optimistic where the world would have us to be full of pessimism. And Lord, we pray that we might bear fruit for you for eternity. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to meet, as usual, around the Lord's table.